unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm excited for this week's episode. So I'm just going to hand it over to you because I know you got a ton of knowledge to drop on us today. All right, I'm ready. So I'll start out a couple of years ago when I got this small rubber ball. I got it to squeeze with my left hand to strengthen the muscles in there because I had started playing guitar after, oh, 40 years of uh, break. <laughs> and and um, I needed to strengthen the muscles so I could play the chords and play the notes. And in the same way that I needed to strengthen my hand, you, I, everyone needs to have their copy be as strong as possible. And the reason copy needs to have muscles and the reason this episode is called Writing with Muscle is because good copy has a job to do. And the job is to move qualified prospects to take action. That takes muscle. Today's episode tells you how to make your copy more muscular. And first I wanna say this, copy is powerful. Not only is it muscular, but it's powerful. And you're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So writing muscular copy, writing with muscle. I've got seven easy to use tips. And for the person listening to this, you might want to cut and paste the show notes from our home site, copywriterspodcast.com after you listen to this. Or if you're listening on your computer on that site, you might want to do it now. Make yourself a little checklist from these notes. And I would suggest Use the checklist to go over your copy after you've written it to make it more muscular. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you two tips from my own work and in my own mind, and then I'm going to give you five more I found from great books on writing. And we'll include the titles of those books and the Amazon links in the show notes. But just to preview them, here are the books. The Art of Plain Talk by Rudolf Flesch, Writing Tools by Roy Peter Clark, and The Magic of Emotional Appeal by Roy Garn. So let's get into the tips. Tip number one, your first tip for making your writing more muscular comes from me. And in fact, I used my recently strengthened left hand, you know, with that rubber ball, to type this up for the show notes. And here's the tip. Use active verbs and active sentences to write about things the reader or listener can easily visualize. So let me give you an example of a weak sentence, and then I'm going to strengthen it and make it more muscular. Here's the weak version. The Copywriters Podcast is listened to by thousands of people. Now, that's a strong statement, but it's a weak sentence because it 
it has a passive verb, is listened to. That's passive. Uh, let's make it active. Same meaning, but much more muscular. Thousands of people listen to the copywriter's podcast. See, the difference there is that now we have somebody doing something as opposed to something being done to something. It sounds subtle, but it's very important. There are people listening to the copywriter's podcast. Okay. Can I ask you a real quick question about that? Of course. As far as like the psychological effects or the subconscious effects, when a sentence is passive versus active, and I'm, I'm not sure what the answer to this is, that's why I'm asking. Um, if you're trying to get somebody to take action, how important is it that they're reading sentences filled with people taking action rather than actions happening to people? Well, that's the most important point. That's the most important reason. The other one is people get more um, energized and attuned. Their, their focus is stronger when there are people taking action. And, you know, you ever talk to somebody who's worked for the government or a large corporation or, and this is about the only negative thing I'm ever going to say publicly or privately about the military, the military, there's a way of writing that is so murky that essentially does not have people identifiably doing action. There's a real cover your ass mentality in any bureaucracy. And so that people tend to glaze over that becomes more when, when writing is passive, that is it becomes more like something you have to read as opposed to something you want to read. Mm, and the engagement level probably just drops at that point to the floor. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, sure. Here's tip number two, use short words, short sentences, and short paragraphs, but do mix it up a little. If you only use short words, short sentences, and short paragraphs all the time, you sound like a machine gun. It's very staccato. It's very fast. It doesn't have a whole lot of humanity or emotion to it. So I would say what you can do to keep your writing clear and understandable is tend to focus on, emphasize using simple words, sentences, and paragraphs to the point where it's about as spare and tight and sinewy as possible. You don't want to make it complex. You want to make it simple. You want to take the complex and make it simple. That's part of your job as a copywriter. Complexity creates confusion in the prospect's mind. And you know the old saying, right, Nathan? The confused mind does not buy. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's one of the foundations of, of copywriting that you have to learn right away is that if they're confused at the end of reading it, they're just not going to make a decision whatsoever. And you definitely don't want people in that mindset when they're reading your copy. Right. So you have to do the hard work mentally to make it easy for the prospect to understand and decide. And it is hard work. And that's why we get paid the big bucks. Let's face it. Because not everyone can do it or is willing to do it if they can. Okay. Tip number three. This is from Rudolf Flesch. You've probably heard of Flesch um, either by name or maybe you've heard of the Flesch Kincaid Readability Index that originated at least partially with him. 
This is an old book. It's easy to find on Amazon, get a used copy for a few bucks, at least in the U.S. I, I know we have a lot of listeners around the world, so um, I'm just going to ask you to be resourceful in, in getting this book. I'm not sure how. Um, the book is called The Art of Plain Talk. The Art of Plain Talk. I mean, that title alone, look, every word is five letters, or in, in the case of four of the five words, less than five letters fewer than five letters. What you want to do is follow these rules. This tip comes from a chapter he calls gadgets of language. And he actually quotes somebody else. He quotes H.W. Fowler from a book, The King's English. But that doesn't matter. He, he has very good information in these five rules. I'll give you a couple of examples. We could otherwise spend the whole podcast just on these five rules, but they're pretty self-explanatory, most of them. The first of these five rules is prefer the familiar word to the far-fetched. In other words, don't show off your vocabulary. Keep it as familiar and simple as possible. Number two of the five rules, and we're still in tip number three, but it has five parts. Prefer the concrete word to the abstract word. So don't go way high up in the conceptual clouds. Number three, prefer the single word to the circumlocution. A circumlocution literally means talking around something. You know how people talk in circles rather than get to the point. Don't be one of those people, especially when you're writing copy. The next rule in tip number three is prefer the short word to the long and the last rule is prefer the Saxon word to the romance. Now, we're not talking about romance like love and sex and Valentine's Day. What we're talking about romance here is words that come from Latin and French, and they often have T-I-O-N on the end. They they're often have softer sounds to them. I'll give you an example of that Let's uh, in a second, but let's talk about prefer the concrete word to the abstract. I'm going to give you an abstract sense. It may not sound that abstract, but you'll see how abstract it is when we compare it to the concrete. So for weight loss, here's the abstract sentence. You can see impressive results in less than a month. Impressive results is actually pretty abstract. It could be a lot more abstract, but it, it's abstract compared to this concrete version. You can drop three dress sizes in less than a month. That is very concrete. You can, it, it literally is something you can touch, measure, see, you know? So um, that's an example of abstract and concrete. Now let's look at a romance word for Facebook advertising, and let's look at a similar sentence with a, a Saxon word. Here's, Here's a, a sentence of copy about, let's say, um, a course on Facebook advertising, the romance word. On Facebook, you'll experience more transactions with the same ad spend. So experience and transactions seem like um, Latin or romance words to me. Let's do the same thing with Saxon words. On Facebook, you'll kill it more often with the same ad spread. Kill is definitely a Saxon word. 
Can I get a clarification from you? Yeah. When you're saying romance and, and Saxon, you're talking about a little bit, I guess, entomology. You're talking about like a romance would be like from the romantic languages, uh, Roman era, and then Saxon would be the more um, English language. Or I guess English is kind of like a mix of Roman and, and Germanic. But um, for the listener that's not familiar with romance and Saxon, uh, sure. what's the what's the history behind those two words. Okay. So first of all, romance refers to the romance languages or words that come from them, Latin, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, primarily. And it's Southern Europe, starting with France. Um, Saxon refers to Northern Europe, uh, anywhere from um, the Vikings, you know, Scandinavia, especially Holland. There are a lot of Saxon words that come from Dutch, German, and, um, and, and people from the north. Now, English, such as it was, or what, what was spoken on the, continent, on the island of Great Britain, on the British Isles, originally was, was Saxon in 1066, Norman the Conqueror, who is a French military man. I don't know if he's a general or a king or exactly what he was. He, he came over to England and he conquered England and French became the language of the court in England for a while. And so, you know, all of these Latin words that migrated up through French and, and probably through Latin became part of English. And so English is, is I guess what you call a polyglot. It's, it's a mixture. English also takes in a lot of words from other languages too. Uh, pretty readily, pretty easily. But most of the words, I would say, are either of Saxon origin, and those are the old, short, hard words. They have hard sounds to them, Ds and Ts and Gs. And they are most of the words, not all, but most of the words that have four or five letters and one syllable tend to be Saxon words. Now, I did um, send over to you for the uh, show notes a um, link to a Wikipedia page that has a lot of Saxon words so you can become familiar with them. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. I, I know that was kind of a, a diversion and a little bit of a history lesson, but I think that it helps me and probably the listener kind of understand more of what you were getting at. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm always glad to show off my knowledge. It makes me <laughs> feel important. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques, last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique.
Thank you. And now back to the show. Tip number four from Rudolph Flesh again, chapter four, this time. He calls this chapter the grammar of gossip. And that sounds a lot more complicated than it is. What he's saying is put people in your writing. It makes the writing more interesting and it keeps the reader engaged. And I'll I'll read you a sentence from there and then I'll give you an example. I'll read you two sentences from chapter four of Rudolf Flesch's book, The Art of Plain Talk, and the, the chapter is called The Grammar of Gossip. The thing to do in such a situation is to go through the text sentence by sentence and look for the logical, not the grammatical subject. After a while, you will discover that the logical subject is always a person and that every sentence can be written so this person is mentioned. And that seems like that might be kind of hard, especially with a technical subject. But let me show you. Here's a technical subject. It has to do with video sales letters and critiques. So here's here's something that has a grammatical subject, but it, it doesn't have the logical subject because there's no people involved. Example number one, the critique was so effective that when the ideas were put into effect, the conversion rate on the VSL more than doubled. Now, that's okay, but here's something a lot better. Brett took the ideas from my critique and put them to work. The ideas were so effective that Brett doubled his conversion rate on the VSL. Mm. Can you hear the difference? Oh, yeah. The second one draws me in. It makes it a lot more real because uh, because I have the person to identify with. Right. But is there any difference in the information in the first sentence or the second one except for the person? Uh, no, it, it was the same idea getting put up, put across. It was just one way drew me in and, and let me feel like I was part of it. And the other way kind of was a little bit off-putting, to be honest. Yeah, and this is why movies about the theory of relativity or the differences in rocks found in nature are usually not as big a hit as something like Titanic or <laughs> um, um, The Godfather. Okay, now, last, not the last tip, tip number five is from Roy Peter Clark, who works at the Pointer Institute, I believe, or maybe the St. Pete Times. Uh, he's in St. Petersburg, Florida. He spoke at Kevin Rogers' event, and he was a big hit. Uh, Kevin Rogers, copy chief live. Anyway, this this is one example. Th this is one rule that's very good. You want to put your strongest word at the start and the end of each sentence. It's kind of like don't bury your lead. Let's say that you came up with a, a new product that, well, let's, let's go to everybody's favorite topic, which is increasing your conversion rate, right? If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably a favorite topic. And, and let's say, let's say your product is called mum bums. Okay. So, uh, you could write copy like this. The interesting thing we found about mum bums is conversions, um, got larger the more we used the product. That's that's okay, but here notice how if we put the keywords at the start and the end of the sentence, how much more powerful it is. Mumbums always helped us get the highest conversions. Mm. Now I know I use my voice tonality to make that a lot more ear catching, but nevertheless, when you put the strong word at the beginning and the end, 
And that's just one of like 55 tips from Roy Peter Clark's book. We'll uh, get to the title at the end, and we're going to have the link in the show notes as well. The other thing is from number six, a tip from Roy Peter Clark that makes your writing more muscular is something we see all the time on TV and all the time in VSLs, and that's use cliffhangers. So I've been doing it with the titles of the books, right? Even though I gave them at the beginning, how many people are remembering them if they're listening to this while they're running or driving or at the gym or shopping at Target? Hi, Deb. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, internal cliffhangers. I said, I'll tell you the name of the book in a minute. Well, in a small way, that makes you want to keep listening to the end. It keeps them reading. So use cliffhangers. Use internal cliffhangers. Now, when we see them on TV, they're used in two ways. Cliffhangers are used at the end of a scene before a commercial, and they're used at the end of the show if it's a continuing series. Not always, but sometimes, depending on on the show, you know, it it looks like the car- the hero, the protagonist, the heroine is in trouble and will never find a way out, and they leave you hanging for a week, and then amazingly they find their way out only to get into more trouble. <laughs> I think that's right there that also kind of clarifies how to use cliffhangers. A lot of times, the most effective times that I've seen cliffhangers used, it's right after they sum up one thing, they they solve one problem, and then they just tease at another problem that you need to solve, or they tease at another question so that as soon as they answer a question, they tease at something else that's going to keep you reading. Yes, that that's a that's a really good way to use it. Especially if you're doing the um, video sales letter technique of of talking about a problem, talking about a solution, a discovery story, then you have three tips. And each tip solves a problem. But at the end of one solution, you're going to say, however, and then you start talking about the next one. And that gets you into tip number two. Mm-hmm. And that keeps them engaged and, and helps stop them from dropping off. After they got tip number one, they still have a reason to stick around for tip number two and tip number three. That's right. So you you just, you want to keep their attention all the way to the close, and then you want to increase that conversion rate. Okay, (laughs) so let's do number seven. Now, this is a little different. It's from a book that's not really about writing copy, although I think every copywriter should read it. It's out of print. It's available on Amazon and it's called, oh, I'll tell you what it's called later. There's a cliffhanger, but the author (laughs) is Roy Garn. And he says that there are, well, he calls them deadly, the four deadly emotional appeals. I don't want to get morbid. So I'll call them the four most powerful emotional appeals. And the tip is use them as often as you can but use them in a way that's logical and plausible. And here's what they are. Emotional appeal number one is self-preservation. Emotional appeal number two is money. Emotional number three is romance. Now, as opposed to romance languages, Latin, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, not that kind of romance, a kind of boy-girl, love, sex, Valentine's Day kind of romance, and then recognition. Now, those four emotional appeals are practically a full copywriting course in themselves. Let's talk about each one of those things. 
self-preservation. That can mean survival. Self-preservation can also mean immortality. If you're selling a course on how to write a book, you could use immortality to say, eventually your body's going to give out, but your book is going to last forever. It's your legacy to civilization. Hmm. Okay. Um, Self-preservation could also be keeping your job, your source of income and survival, right? Which gets back to survival. I don't think I need to say much about money as, as an emotional appeal. I'll just say what Danny DeVito said in the movie, the heist. That's why they call it money. (laughs) Okay. Romance is of course, love and sex, but there's another aspect to romance. And that is taking an ordinary idea and making it special. Like, the experience of driving a new car and the new car smell and the way people look at you when you're in this fantastic, shiny new car, that makes it romantic. Mm. Recognition. Recognition can include prestige. And I think the entire Swiss watch industry is based on that. Appealing to a person's sense of identity or personalizing a message just by using a person's name. So that pretty much wraps up writing with muscle. Um, Want to learn to use these tips with practice and they'll become habits. Let me tell you the names of the books again, since I did promise it. And one of the most important things here on Copywriters Podcast, Nathan, as you know, is we always keep our promises. Always, always, always. Except occasionally when we screw up. <laughs> um, the Art of Plain Talk by Rudolph Flesch. Writing Tools by Roy Peter Clark, and The Magic of Emotional Appeal by Roy Garn. And we're going to have links on the Copywriters Podcast site, so you can just click on the link if you want to go to Amazon and see if you can get a used copy. Roy Peter Clark's book is current, but the other two are out of print, but there are plenty of used copies as of today when we're doing this podcast. Now, since there are so many thousands of people listening to this podcast, it may not last long, so don't wait. Take action now. Go get those books. Nice. We'll also include the link to the uh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia page where it goes through all of the Anglo-Saxon words to help the copywriters out there as well. And what I really love about this is uh, you practice what you preach in this episode. You kept people hanging to the end. You tied up the uh, the open loops at the end. And now we're going to end with a cliffhanger. What do we have coming up next week? Well, I'm so glad you asked because our topic next week is increasing perceived value. Ooh, that one, that one right there, uh, especially for com- overcoming price objections. This one's going to be, if, if you are somebody that has trouble selling people on why your high priced item is worth it, this is going to be one that's going to help you out. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, David. Another fantastic episode. Thank you, copywriters, for tuning in. Check out more at the Copywriters Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com 
and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.